Amen. Amen. I ask you to grab a Bible if you would. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be reading, um, reading our model prayer from there today because uh, the great portion of the scripture we're going to be studying from today is going to be out of Matthew chapter 6. And so um, this, is, this is really good. It's really good. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today to hear your word. Uh, I, I really do believe that you have something very unique to say to us today about your kingdom and your will. And so we're asking God in this service, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let this room be an expression of heaven's will. What that means is every tear has to be dried. Every disease has to be healed. Everything broken must become whole. In Jesus' name we pray. We put a demand on the presence of heaven in this room. We didn't come here to play church. We didn't come here to fulfill some religious obligation. We came here so that heaven would touch earth and our lives would be forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. Amen. I, I want to I do a quick review and then I want to jump into today. Uh, the first two weeks of our, our series, we talked about our Father in heaven and hallowed be thy name. And I wanna just give you a couple of words that define uh, both of those sermons. First of all, the sermon that we talked about, our Father in heaven, we truly talked about our source. So when we pray, when we pray, here's the pattern for our prayer. Now this isn't a formula for prayer. In other words, um, this is a pattern for prayer. A formula would be a little bit different in that we would expect a certain thing to happen because we do this thing. Um, I'm not telling you to expect certain outcomes. I'm just saying this is the pattern for prayer. We, we can't put God, just like the song we sang, into a box. We can't make God a formula, but God does give us patterns. And these patterns are for our benefit. And so God is teaching us in the pattern of prayer that first of all, he is our source. He is our source, our Father who is in heaven. Second thing we talked about was hallowed be thy name. And literally, we were talking about how God is not just our source, but he is also sacred. It's, it's one thing to know that God loves us, but it's, it's another thing to know that even though he loves us the way he does, he is, he is also holy, he is pure, he is, he is righteous. And so we shouldn't be casual about his love. We should consider that love sacred and holy and something that we honor and we cherish, and, and we don't treat it as something casual. And I believe when God is saying your kingdom come, we're talking about how God is sovereign. 
how God is Lord of all and he is Lord over all. He has the heart of kings, the Bible says, in his hands. Nothing is happening in the earth that is throwing him off guard. I know that we are disturbed by some of the laws that have even been passed this week, the one in New York where abortion is allowed up into the day of a baby being born. That's a scary thought to think. And the term for the life of the mother is such a vague term that anybody can make a decision on that. There are no specific uh, limits to that. Someone could fear that their life is in danger. A doctor could say that someone's life is in danger. I, I, I've got family that have been told, hey, here, here's the choice. You can choose your wife or you can choose your child. And when it all came down to it, they both lived. So, so we let God make the choice on life, don't we? We let, we let God make that choice. And, and, and so those things are disheartening and those things are disconcerting and they're, they're very sad and it makes us angry. And, and we can wonder, God, what are you doing? Are you even concerned? And the truth is God is concerned and God is still sovereign Lord over all. In other words, all of history is still heading to the point where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So your kingdom come. It tells us that God is sovereign. Your will be done. It tells us that God's plan is superior to our own. And so when we pray, our focus is our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. We want your kingdom and your will above all other things. Notice that in the first part of this prayer, there's nothing about my needs. <laughs> there's nothing about my ambitions, my dreams, my agenda, my goals, my occupation. If anything is true at the point of salvation, it is that you will no longer set the course of your life. You no longer determine or attempt to determine your own destiny. You are not in charge of your own future, and you are not the one who determines the direction you will go. In other words, self-centered living is over. Selfishness gets replaced by submission, because truly salvation and true prayer is a self-denying reality. We keep going back to this idea in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. All autonomy, all independence, all self-determination is shattered at the point you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the reality that makes his kingdom so powerful, is that his kingdom really and truly, because all of self is gone, it removes the need to worry from our lives. And so in Matthew 6, after reading through the Lord's Prayer, we get to this point in Matthew 6 and 19 that Jesus begins to turn this into a discussion on where our hearts are, where our alliances are, who we truly trust in, where we are putting our faith, where we are storing our treasure. And here's what the Bible says, Matthew 6, verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, life not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's his will, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there is a connection to his kingdom and my worry. To his kingdom and my worry. And so God is teaching us in his pattern for prayer that if you put the kingdom first, you won't have to worry about your life. That if you seek my will, you won't have to worry about tomorrow. Now, the truth of the matter is, is everyone in this room has some worries, some anxieties, some things that we are concerned about. And it's not that God is telling us, hey, don't be concerned about your future. Don't give thought to the things of the future. But what God is truly telling us is take your focus off of the future and put your focus on my kingdom. And a focus on my kingdom will take care of your future, and a focus on my kingdom will take care of your today, and a focus on my kingdom will take care of your past. A focus on my kingdom is what you need. So he says, hey, listen, all of these things, I have a plan to take care of them, so I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to worry. So when we pray, prayer is not this thing where where we, we, we give all of this stuff to God, we cast our cares on God and then keep holding them ourselves. Prayer is truly this idea designed by God where we can put it on him so we don't have to worry about it. That's good news for us. So what happens though is our focus gets off. Our focus gets sideways. We begin to place our attention onto the things that don't truly matter. And God says, you can't live free from anxiety that way. See, I could tell you today, hey listen, Timothy tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. But if you're not seeking first the kingdom, then your life is gonna be dominated by fear. So you can read all the scripture you want, but if you don't apply it, it's not gonna work for you. That's why James says, don't just be hearers of the word and deceive yourselves, be doers of the word. Blessed is the man or happy is the man or full of joy is the man that obeys the word of the Lord. So my joy isn't connected to my circumstances, my joy is connected truly to my obedience. Now watch this, there's, there's, a, there's a few reasons why we worry. I wanna give you what I believe is the main one. Watch this, in Matthew chapter 6, 19, he says this. He says, don't build your lives on stuff that doesn't matter. Watch, Matthew 6, 19. It's really good. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I wanna tell you the, re- the main reason we worry is because we have built our lives on things people can steal. We have put our security and our hope and our joy 
in things people can take from us. <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? The bank can take your house for most of us. Most of us don't own our, the bank could take our car. If, if, if you lost your job and you couldn't make your car payments anymore, the bank could take your car. We put all of our confidence on things and in things that can be taken from us. And God is saying, don't put your treasure, don't put your hope and confidence in things that people can take from you. Because if your confidence is in them, once they are taken from you, your confidence is gone. If your hope is in them, once they're taken from you, your hope is gone. If your joy is in them, then once they're taken from you, then your joy is gone. That's why we cannot put our, our joy, our satisfaction, our ultimate uh, uh, life in people and things. We cannot do it because people leave and things get old and the bank can take them. But the things that God gives us, the joy that he gives us, the peace that he gives us, it's not connected to stuff people can steal. And so God is trying to tell you, hey listen, I don't mind that you have stuff, just don't put your joy in it. Don't put your hope in it. I don't care that you have a house. I don't care that you have a fancy car. I don't care that you have a relationship that you value. I'm into all of that. All of that is wonderful. But if you put your confidence in that, the moment it is taken from you, or the moment it diminishes, or the moment it fades, all of your confidence is gone. So God is saying, listen, don't seek that stuff first. I can give you all of that stuff. I can add that to your life. I want you to seek me first. And if you seek me first, you can lose all of that stuff and still maintain your joy. That's where God wants us to be. So that's how we stop worrying. We stop worrying by putting all of our confidence and hope and stuff people can steal. Some people are like, well, the enemy stole my joy. How can, how can the enemy steal something he didn't give you? How can the enemy steal something he didn't have access to? The only way he stole your joy is if you put your joy in something he could steal. If you, if you put your joy in a car, he could take that. And he doesn't take it because he needs it to drive. He don't want your stuff because he wants to use your stuff. He's not after your job because he's looking for a job. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The devil messes with your stuff because he knows when he messes with your stuff, he's messing with your joy. Why? Because your joy is in it. Woo. <laughs> That's serious business. And so one of the main reasons we worry is because all of our joy, all of our hope is connected to stuff that people can steal. It's in money, it's in things, it's in relationships. God said, that's not where it's at, it's in me. What does worry do? Worry makes you live like something is missing. I sit down with people all the time and all the time I hear that something's missing from my life. Well, what is it? Can you define it for me? No, I just, I just have this feeling that something isn't right. Something is missing. Worry is that thing that makes us feel like something is missing, as if God is holding out on us. This has been the tactic of the enemy since the beginning. <laughs> In Genesis 3 and 5, he's talking to Eve, and he's talking to Adam, and he's saying, hey, hey, listen, 
God is withholding this tree from you because there's something in this tree that is so good for you that he doesn't want you to have. They've got access to everything they could ever want. Everything they could ever want. And there's this one thing that God says is mine and the enemy says, no, that, that actually belongs to you, that's yours and God doesn't want you to have it because if you had that, then you would be like God. And so he's, he, he, he's offering us this thing that doesn't truly belong to us and he says, hey, in this thing that doesn't belong to you is where you're gonna find your happiness. And so we live our lives like this, like something is missing. If I just had that relationship, if I, if, if I just had that car, if I just had that job, if I could just do what they were, if I just had their life. And, and social media has done nothing but reinforce this idea that something is missing from our lives. And so, so we, have this, we have this worry that, that I'm not living my fullest life, I'm not living to my full potential, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not experiencing all that I should be experiencing. And so we look around and, and, and we look and we say, ooh, that tree looks nice. And so he says, that tree doesn't belong to you. That tree belongs to somebody else. Well, it doesn't matter. That's the thing that's missing from my life. No, that's not the thing that is missing from your life. Somebody else's life is not the life you want. You want your life. Can I tell you that life that you think is gonna make you happy isn't gonna make you happy at all because if you actually got that life, you'd realize that the people in that life are just as unhappy as you are in your life because everybody's looking at everybody else's life wishing they had their life. You're like, man, if I was just famous, no, I know famous people. Do you know what they want to be? Normal. Normal people want to be famous. Rich people, <laughs> rich people don't want to be poor, but they don't want the problems that their money brings. Poor people want to be rich. White people want to be black. Talking about myself. I just, want, I just want some swag. I just want to be able to rap and jump. That's it. <laughs> Everybody, worry, it's, it's, it's killing us because it's making us think that there's something missing from our lives. And I'd be beautiful I just, if, I had, if I had different eyes and I, if I just had different ears. And so what, what do we do? We go to the doctor, hey, hey. I didn't get the nose I should have got. Something is missing from my life. I didn't get the cheeks I should have got, so fill me up. <laughs> my daughter was telling me the other day, Dad, do you know people can get butt implants? I said, that's not a real thing. She said, oh yes, it is a real thing. I had to Google that, and be careful when you Google butt implants. Don't go to the images. <laughs> That's a real thing. <laughs> this whole world is obsessed. Something is missing. Something's missing. It's amazing. In America, we're so wealthy, our clothes have, have bedrooms. And our cars have houses. But we can still walk into our garage and say, man, Mark, this isn't enough. And we can still walk into our closet and look at all those clothes on the wall and say, I have nothing to wear. 
because something's missing. Because actually something is missing. It's me. You've left my kingdom out of the whole equation. Because if you were seeking first my kingdom, you could walk into an empty garage and still be joyful. You could walk into a garage full of three, four cars and it won't change your joy because stuff doesn't change your joy. Your joy is not measured by how much stuff you have, it's measured by how much of me do you have. And the reason you're missing something is because you're missing him. Worry makes you live like, man, something's missing from my life. Worry makes you impatient. Worry makes you make horrible decisions. 1 Samuel chapter 13, there's a story of, of Saul, and the Bible says that, that the Philistines have been attacking, and Saul is actually growing impatient because Samuel, the prophet, was supposed to show up. He said, I'm gonna show up on the seventh day, and the seventh day has got there, and Saul is worried because Samuel hasn't shown up yet in the day, and so Saul steps out to do something that he was not qualified to do. He goes as a king to offer sacrifice to the Lord, and he was unqualified to do this. This was the job of the prophet, but he thinks that he's gonna step in and do what was somebody else's job because impatience will make you do stupid stuff. The Bible says that when Samuel gets there, Samuel says this, what did you do? And he says, well, I was worried that you weren't gonna come. But if you read the text, the Bible shows us that Samuel actually came on the day he was supposed to arrive. He just got there later in the day. Saul was so impatient, he couldn't wait to the end of the day. And while he is making the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. How many times have we jumped ahead of God, and the moment we jumped up, God was saying, ooh, I was about to step in, but... Because we get impatient, worry makes us impatient. If I don't make it happen, if I don't do something about this, if I don't change the situation, if I don't get out of this, if I don't move, I've got to do something. Can I tell you something that the gospel frees you from? It frees you from rush. If you look through the scripture, Jesus didn't run anywhere. And he only had 33 years to get done what he had to get done. And he didn't run anywhere. Matter of fact, most of his life was, was, was interruptions. And why did those interruptions not interfere with God's will for his life? Because those interruptions were God's will. But he, had lived, he was living at such a pace, a worry-free pace, that the interruption didn't concern him. There was one time he was actually headed to somebody's house to heal their kid. And the Bible teaches that a woman came up and interrupted Jesus on the way to this man's house. And while he's talking to this woman, the Bible tells us that people come up to the man who asked for his daughter to be healed and says, hey, don't worry about it. Leave the master alone. She's died already. And Jesus turns to the man and says, don't worry. Don't listen to their words. And he kept talking and dealing with this woman. And he gets to the house and the girl is dead. And he said, she ain't dead to me, she's just sleeping. You don't understand anything about the kingdom if you think that the kingdom has to happen on your timetable and in your schedule. I've remo- Listen, I live in eternity. I'm not bothered by schedules. I'm not bothered by your schedule. I'm not bothered by time and by space. Even if it's dead, it's not too late for me. So this is what Jesus is teaching us. When you live into the, in the kingdom, it's never too late. 
You're like, but Robbie, you, you don't understand. I'm 60 years old and I, I've never really done anything for God. It is never too late. God can do in a moment what it would take you a lifetime to try in your own effort to do. That's why he says seek the kingdom because the kingdom accelerates your life. It changes things. You thought, this could never happen with me. I could never do that. I didn't go to college. I didn't get that degree. I don't come from the right family. You're not a part of the system. You're a part of the kingdom. I'm not the right color. And the system is set up. And it's set up to put people in minority situations at a disadvantage. But God says, you're not at a disadvantage because you're in the kingdom. <laughs> you, you, you're not a part of the system. I know the system wants to keep you down, and maybe the man wants to keep you down, but God says you're not a part of the system. You're a part of the kingdom. Whew. So you don't have to worry. I'm not the right color. I'm not the right age. I, I, I'm not the right, I don't have the right income. I don't have the right background. He says, I, I hear all of that. She's already dead. I, I hear that, but don't worry. You, you don't understand my credit score. I hear all of that, but don't worry. Nobody in my family's ever had anything. I hear you, but don't worry. But the doctor said, I hear you, but don't worry. Whew. Don't grow impatient and start doing stuff. He, Samuel says to, to, to Saul, he says, you messed up. God was getting ready to establish your throne forever. But because you got ahead of God, he has chosen another man, a man that is after his own heart. You were, you were your impatience. You were one patient decision away from me establishing your throne forever. Don't get ahead of God. Don't become impatient with his time. Oh, I should have been married by the time I was 25. Everybody's married. I should have been married. I'm 30 years old and I'm not married. And I don't have any kids. What about, the, what about the clock? What about the clock that's ticking? What about the clock that's ticking? God said, I don't hear a clock ticking. I live in eternity. That's good. Hey, don't you know I, I took barren women and gave them children? I could take your 40-year-old self and give you a baby. But I gotta get married by the 30 because if I don't get married by the time I'm 30, then we won't have a couple years to honeymoon. And if we don't have, and then we'll have to start having babies right off the bat. And then, and what are you, why are we tripping like this? I, I, I should have gone to that college, but I went to that college because I went to that college. Everything's messed up and I don't have the right degree. I didn't get, well, why are we tripping over stuff? As if God is up in heaven going, oh my God! Did you see what he did? He went to Appalachian State instead of UT. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Oh, my God, he went to Northeast State. He didn't go to HSU. Oh, God, what are we? <laughs> oh, what are we going to do? He, he married her instead of her. It just messes the whole plan up. Wait a second. There are tons of stories in the Bible where people married the wrong person and God worked it out. Because sometimes the wrong person was actually the right person. You thought the right person was the right person and the right person would have killed you. And the wrong person was just what you needed. 
God's got you. Stop tripping. Oh, if I don't go to the right college, if I don't marry the right person, if I don't make the right decisions, if I don't take this job, I'm gonna miss out on everything. Oh my goodness, why are you tripping? Don't freak out. He said, don't worry. Why are you worried? I don't even want you to worry about food and clothing, much less all of this other stuff. Worry will trap you with your own words. Proverbs 6, 6 and 2 says, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. There isn't a stronger trap than the trap you set with your own words. And there isn't a stronger snare than the snare you have put yourself in with your own words. God says your words are why you're worried. Your words are why you feel trapped. So what's the answer? Philippians 4 and 6 through 7 says this. Don't worry about anything. But what, what you said, anything? No, anything. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You said, you said, well, that's a really, that's a really just cliche thing to say, pray about everything. Did you just call God cliche? If, if your neighbor just called God cliche, you just might wanna slide just a, just a little bit. <laughs> it's not cliche, it's not just words, it's a command. Don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Heard somebody say the other day, prayer is not a last resort, it's the first step. Prayer has become this 911 call that we throw up to get God to bail us out and to fix our situation. It was never intended to be that. He said, I want you to pray this way. Not, oh God, help me. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Because if I seek his will, then I'll pray a whole lot less. Oh God, help me. Save me. Rescue me. Because the only reason I will need him to rescue me is if I got into something that wasn't his plan. Okay, all right, well, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Watch this, tell God what you need. Worry starts winning when you stop talking. You gotta constantly talk to him. I need to pray about everything, tell him what I need. Thank him for all he has done. Gratitude will destroy worry. You, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final things, thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, lovely, and admirable. For some of you, your worry is connected to what you are focused on. Some of y'all watch way too much news coverage. It, did, anybody, did anybody during the fast, fast social media and, or, or the news or, or television and realize how much time you spend looking and thinking and focusing on crazy stuff. Some of y'all, some of y'all spend, some of y'all have spent 30, 40, 50, an hour of your day reading through the comments on somebody else's post. You saw somebody post something on Instagram, you saw, oh my gosh, there's a fight happening. And you hit that where it says 600 comments and you clicked on that 
and you read through those comments of people fighting back and forth, no wonder you're full of worry. Now you, now you care about stuff that doesn't even, doesn't even impact you and affect you. Now you care about stuff that you were never intended to even know about. So Matthew 6 says, life is more than food and clothing. And if you're gripped by anxiety over food and clothing, it's because you've lost sight of, you've lost focus on what truly makes life great. I love food. I love clothes. I'm thankful you all wore clothes today. (laughs) But those things don't make your life great. I took somebody out one time uh, recently and, and I took them to a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and they were 50 years old, had never been to a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And I thought, man, this is gonna be the experience of their life. And I was like, how was it? And they were like, yeah, it was, it was good. I was like, what are you talking about? They were like, I, 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 I prefer Golden Corral. I said, I'm gonna smack you right upside. And I thought, who is this person that prefers Golden Corral? I was like, I wonder why it wasn't a big deal to them. I realized it's because food isn't something that brings them joy. But when food brings you joy, it's like, oh my gosh, I gotta I got have the best steak and I gotta have the best this. And, and then we find ourselves spending money on stuff that doesn't make us any healthier. They, they just said it did. And now we're buying $20 milk when you could just go to the grocery store and buy some $2 milk because food, drop food. And it's like, There's somebody living in a one-bedroom apartment drinking the grocery store brand. It's probably gonna live longer than you because you're so worried about your health, it's making you sick. And they just live, and they're eating Reese's Pieces, and they're 95 years old, like, what's up? You're 72, eating kale and dying. Because you've been scared you're gonna die of cancer for 30 years. (laughs) and then he says birds birds look at them they don't they don't sow or reap and they don't store up in barns he's not saying birds are lazy you're not gonna go outside you lazy bird (laughs) you don't do nothing (laughs) no they 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 get their own food they dig in the ground they get worms they get insects they go and they get the the material they need to make their nest They, they work but birds don't Birds don't live like for tomorrow. That's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying the birds don't even, they don't, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store up. They're not worried about tomorrow because they, they, they figured out something, like he said at the end. Tomorrow will take care of itself. How about you live in today and 
trust God that the same God that is taking care of you today will take care of you tomorrow. Amen. We stand on your feet with me. I want to read one more scripture to you and I'm going to pray for you and let you go. Psalm 112 probably has recently become one of my favorite portions of scripture. Psalm 112. This is what the Bible says. I'm going to read it. Let me see. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, righteous. God comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will sink away. Their hopes will be thwarted. Why, for who? The righteous. Well, who are the righteous? Those who believe in Jesus Christ. This is God's promise for your life. None of this has anything to do with striving or trying really hard or taking advantage of your situation or or getting one up on your neighbor or, or comparing your life to anybody else's. It just says, live in your righteousness and all of this stuff is gonna happen for you. God is gonna do some things in your life. He's gonna make sure you're rewarded. He's gonna make sure that you're taken care of. He's gonna put such confidence in your life that it doesn't matter what bad news is coming, you're not gonna be afraid of it. Whose report will we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. I'm not gonna fear what men say, what anybody said. I'm not gonna be afraid of what's happening in the world today. Why? Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and this is the promise for my life. And I believe it. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together and bless them. You got to believe this. This is a promise for the righteous. Don't worry. Dear Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that because your kingdom is coming and in many ways is here, God, you are removing the need for worry from our lives. For some of us, it's something that comforts us. It makes us feel as if we are, we're concerned. We're, we're thinking deeply about something. We're, we're, uh, we almost hold it as a badge of honor. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm, I'm focused on my future. And, and, and those are really just masks for the, the fact that we're doing something that is contrary to your word. We're worried. You said, I I want you to stop worrying about food and clothing. I want you to live like the birds. I I, I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has got enough for you in it already. I need you to focus on today. I need you to take worry out of your life by seeking first my kingdom. Stop living as if something is missing. Peter said, you have everything you need that pertains unto life and godliness. You are fully equipped 
to do what God has called you to do. If you don't have it right now, that means you don't need it right now. Because if God needs to get it to you, there is no devil in hell. There's no enemy, foe that can stop him from getting it to you. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's your calling, if it's resources, he'll get it to you. David wasn't even invited to his own anointing ceremony. And the prophet said, we aren't going anywhere until you go get David. I'm telling you, God is saying, if you'll be where you're supposed to be, he'll make sure you get where you need to be. We're not going anywhere until we get you. We're not going anywhere until you get what you need. You gotta believe that. You gotta trust God in that. Father, in Jesus' name, today we thank you that we can trust you, that we can put our confidence in you. Help us to store up more treasure in heaven. Help us to have more of what matters and less of what doesn't matter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.